I'm really big about you know, getting the word and praying and things like that. And I feel like God just really implanted that on my heart and really just put that on my heart to go run again. And, you know, it's, it's not lost on me that I almost died running a 10 mile race. I, I think I like, I get that. And when I tell, when I told people initially, I want to run the marathon, they kind of looked at me and went, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you remember what happened last time, Tyler, like, you remember that? And, and I was very aware of that. Like, there's no point in me living this life if I'm not going to live it for Christ. So it's possible I could die. Yeah, for sure. I could die while I'm running, but I know that God's called me to this. And so I'm going to step into it. I'm going to go for it. Welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, where men rediscover courageous masculinity. Pull up a chair as we gain strength from the stories of God working in the lives of ordinary men today. These men have discovered that in a world of superficiality and isolation, we need authentic brotherhood to gain strength for the battles we face every day. Brought to you by the ministry of CLC, which challenges men to an uncommon pursuit of Christ, welcome to Empowered Manhood. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, as men, there's nothing we want more than control. <laughs> we want control of our lives. We want control of our plans. We want control of our our strategy. And we want to accomplish these things that, that we've decided in our hearts to accomplish. Then we want to accept the credit for it. <laughs> we want to uh, have people recognize us for how great we are. And, uh, and what we've accomplished. However, this verse, and of course, all, all through the narrative arc of Scripture, it's clear that God is still sovereign. Even as we plan our own way, He determines our steps. And really, it's up to us whether we decide we want to entrust ourselves into God's hands and His ultimate plan. And so we may have our plans, but we are we do well to entrust those plans to God and to conform our will to His, which is definitely one of the hardest things we can do as men. Hi, my name is Mike Hatch, and I am the host here at the Empowered Manhood Podcast. I am with CLC, and I will be joined as usual with my co-host, Chris Bullinger, best-selling Amazon author of uh, Daily Strength for Men, a fantastic men's devotional. And we have a great guest today. Guys, I am so excited for you to hear um, from Tyler Moon, who resides from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is an avid marathon runner who has a really incredible story of how, about how he how he started in his uh, career of running, and you will be absolutely blown away by this story. The the God's fingerprints are absolutely all over it, and it has an incredible lesson to teach us as men how we entrust our stories, our plans, our strategies to God's ultimate plan. Now, before we jump in, I just want to remind you that at CLC, we specialize in men's discipleship. I, I personally get to travel the country, meet with pastors, and consult with churches about men's discipleship. So if you have any questions about CLC, please reach out to me at mhatch at clchq.org. You can also visit our website at clchq.org. I also want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Biblical Wealth Solutions. You know, many people I talk with are worried about the impact of inflation, but don't want to rely on the stock market. My really good friend, Jared Williams of Biblical Wealth Solutions, has developed the compounding cash flow investment strategy that uses passive real estate investing to give you increasing income for life even throughout your retirement. So you can beat inflation without having to depend on the stock market roller coaster. Now we actually interviewed my buddy Jared in episode 35 where we talked about a biblical approach to investing for cash flow. And I'd really encourage you to go back and check out that episode again, number 35, and just get to know Jared a little bit and you'll get to hear more details about this strategy. So here's how it works. Schedule a free coaching call then let them help you invest in assets that can compound your cash flow and enjoy increasing income for life. 
no real estate experience, and no minimum investments required. You can learn more or schedule your free coaching call at biblicalwealthsolutions.com forward slash CLC, all one word. Again, that's biblicalwealthsolutions.com forward slash CLC. All right, guys, here is our interview with Tyler Moon. Hey, Tyler Moon. Good to have you on the Empowered Manhood podcast. Hey, Mike and Chris. It's great to be here. Yeah, we, you and I were talking before, and one of the funny things that uh, that I mentioned to you is here in Pittsburgh, where I reside, there's actually a moon township, as as well as a, a Mars <laughs> up north. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's any other planets represented, but uh, but I was like, you need to visit moon township sometime. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. In fact, oh, actually, I ran a 5K at in in moon township once so how funny would that be for you to go run in moon anyway that's i'm, <laughs> I'm just right I'm it's kind of a connection to our story today too that, fun. yeah we'll, right we'll connect the dots together it all weaves right. in man that's right that's right is that so, area as hilly as the rest of pittsburgh oh yeah i would oh. never want to run a race in pittsburgh i mean it was rough man <laughs> it was a rough one <laughs> I mean, Pittsburgh it was, is nothing but hills. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's it's nice on the way down. Yeah, um, right. yeah. <laughs> except, well, Tyler, since you're a marathon runner, you know, though the 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 how do I say this? The burden that puts on your joints, right? Running mm-hmm. downhill sometimes if it's too steep, and how actually right. you don't necessarily just want to let loose. You actually kind of want to hold back a little bit so that you don't do too much damage to yourself. Right. So. Which like the last thing you want to do when you're like running a marathon, you like don't want to hold yourself back or anything. Right. You just like just want to easy, ease it out. So, but it's good to know I, that Pittsburgh is hilly. If I ever sign up for that five, oh my gosh, is expect, it hilly? Yeah, <laughs> expect it. Yep. I have not yep. found a flat place in Pittsburgh yet. I've I've been there a couple times, and I don't think yeah. it exists. Yeah. So, all right, Tyler, I'm super excited about this. You have an incredible story. And uh, I cannot wait to get into this and, uh, and for guys to hear this story. And, um, and I think it's going to be encouraging to them. So you, um, let's start as usual. We'll start with your fence post story. However, as we were saying before this, we know that by the time you get to your, I don't know, fourth post, <laughs> your fourth fence post, we'll be off pretty much on the topic at that point of what we wanted to talk to you about because it so plays out of your story. So, um, so yeah, I mean, give us the first, uh, two or three fence posts and some background on, uh, on Tyler moon. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on Mike and Chris. It's great to be here. Uh, my first fence post is, uh, growing up in a Christian home. So I grew up in a, a place and had a Lutheran family kind of all around me, went to a Lutheran church and I had a great foundation. Um, I think later on in life, I learned that, um, I wasn't necessarily as spiritually mature, maybe as I thought I was when I left home, which kind of gets into my second fence post. But with the first fence post, I just grew up in a great home with great parents and uh, family members all around. Mm-hmm. As I transitioned into college, I went to uh, Luther College, which is a, a school in Northeast Iowa, a great school where I played football and studied business. Uh, but there was a lot of decisions that were made there that I'm uh, not proud of. There are some things that I made choices on that uh, we're not always great. So about 85% of the time, I think I was doing things that the Lord wanted me to do. And about 15% were things that I uh, had a lot of learning and opportunity from in those mm-hmm. situations. Um, That's a great way of I, saying it. Learning an opportunity. From, yeah. <laughs> opportunity to learn. From he, learned that, he learned that in his business classes. There's, there's no problems. <laughs> those are all opportunities. Yeah, right. I right. love the way you describe exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> did you were you a wide receiver? What was your position in football? Because you did not look to me like a football player. Maybe you were built a little differently back then, but yeah, it's a good question, Chris. It's actually it's kind of fun, but I actually played offensive line. Really? Which if you're watching right now, you're probably shocked. Yeah, Mike, Mike's shocked. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I am. It was a really small yeah. school, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I know most people look at me and go, you know, they kind of say, you know, punter, kicker, and then I say no offensive line. They kind of go, Hmm, did you guys like win any games or, you know, what was, what was that like? Um, and so we were, we were kind of uh, mediocre, mediocre, I'd say successful, but I actually was uh, about a hundred pounds heavier than I am now. Wow. And um, it's kind of part of my story. When I get into the, the running portion of my story, 
Um, it's a pretty unique thing, but yeah, I came in as a tight end and, um, I was kind of in this awkward position in high school. We mostly ran the football, but in college, we kind of had this spread offense and I basically was, uh, too slow to be a wide receiver. And I wasn't really strong enough to be an offensive lineman quite yet. And so I kind of hung out at that tight end spot and I slowly moved in each year, every couple of months, I, you know, I'd move in, I'd play tackle and I'd play guard and, um, all that stuff. So I ended up playing guard in a triple option offense, which was incredibly fun. And, uh, it was fun. It was kind of a good thing for me because I was a little bit quicker, um, than some of the other offensive linemen. So it was a great experience and a lot of great learning, um, as a, as just kind of like stepping up and being a, a man really, and what it means to work hard and have good values and, uh, to take those out into the world one day. Nice. That's awesome. Sorry. So, okay. So that was, and by the way, I, I coached uh, football. Let me think here in my early thirties, I think I coached freshman mm-hmm. football and that, and that, uh, that we ran the the triple option as well. And, uh, I have a lot of fond, but also kind of not so fond memories about that. That was like one of the hardest for me, at least it was one of the hardest offenses to pick up, but, um, right. Anyway, so that was your third fence Second. post. Is that right? Second, Second. fence post. Second. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then after, after school, like going on my third, I actually moved out to the East coast for work, South Carolina, Charleston, mm. I had a job offer out there and totally new, totally different. Uh, you know, I was working with this company and that person called me and said, you know, I have this great opportunity for you and it's going to be in this awesome city and all this stuff. And I was thinking, you know, I'm from Minnesota, like maybe it's Chicago or, you know, maybe it's one of these regional cities. And he says, Charleston, South Carolina. I, I didn't even know the place existed, to be honest. I was just like, okay, let's, you know, let's think about it. And a lot of a thought and prayer and um, ended up going there and taking kind of the leap of faith there, which really is kind of um, transformative in terms of talked about kind of my physical stature because I got into running while I was in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, but as my spiritual stature as well, I uh, mm-hmm. didn't have many friends, honestly. I worked nights and weekends for, for my job. And so I had mornings open. And I had a lot of time to work out and read the Bible, which is something that I hadn't really had the last few years. Or I hadn't made time for at least while I was in school. And so I read the Bible in a full year while I was there, which was just like radically life changing wow. for me to be able to actually read God's word. You know, and I think growing up, you know, we heard kind of the highlights of in sermons and gospels and things like that were preached to us. But to just see the minute details and to learn about things of in the Old Testament and all that stuff was just was life changing to me. Mm. And that really was when um, I don't know, people ask me kind of when did I surrender my life to Christ? I think I was I've been a Christian for a long time. But at that point in Charleston, I think I really surrendered to God there. And I said, you know, everything that I'm going to do is going to be based on what you want me to do. It's not because it's easy for me to do. I think a long time of my life, it was easy to do, do the good things because like my parents were there and, you know, people like when you're nice to them and all that stuff. But <laughs> the Lord really captured my heart when I was in Charleston. And um, the things that I do up until today are because of what Christ wants me to do. Now, Tyler, there probably weren't a lot of Lutheran churches in Charleston, right? So did you end up Correct. switching to a different denomination or a different type of church when you were down there? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I actually ended up going to a Baptist church, kind of a Southern Baptist church in downtown Charleston. And, and we kind of church hopped. I had a one friend out there already did a little church hopping, tried to figure out where my, where my niche was. And in college, I went to a, like a non-denominational church. Okay. So that was kind of a, a little bridge to go to Southern Baptist, right. uh, which was very different. But I remember the pastor, he preached on just thought he had like one verse and he preached on one verse for like 45 minutes, which for <laughs> me was like this profound. I was like, how did he do that? I don't even know how that happened. Right. That just wasn't what my culture and growing up that way. So I uh, really got into the word basically because of that and grew in my faith and uh, grew in the word, which I still carry to today. All right. So you're yeah. in Charleston and then um, how long were you there? Uh, your first job out of college? Yeah. So it was first job and it was kind of this management training program type thing. So it was a 12 month commitment and then we could transfer intercompany transfer or we could go somewhere different after the 12 months was up. So I did my 12 months, um, kind of was ready for a change, ready to be closer to family and uh, enjoyed uh, the opportunity to come back home. So I did an intercompany transfer back to the Twin Cities area, which is uh, generally kind of where I have a lot of family and friends. And I started working, you know, a job up here in the Twin Cities area, which is where we're at now, uh, which kind of gets me to my fourth fence post is 
I moved back to the Twin Cities and I ended up meeting a girl, my, my wife now. We met on a blind date, which was uh, amazing. And then um, through, through our dating, we actually uh, ended up going to watch a marathon in 2018. So we were mm. watching Amy, her, her brother, Amy, Amy's brother, Danny, in a marathon in 2018. And at this time, I'd kind of been into running because of kind of weight loss and just like something to do. I was bored, didn't have any connections or friends. And I kind of continued that when I got back to the Twin Cities. We go to this marathon and I don't really know what's going on. I'm like, we're just going to watch people run for like a couple hours. I don't really understand it. This seems kind of like just foreign to me. And when I got there, I was just overwhelmed by the atmosphere and just mm. the amazing opportunity that it was to just cheer on strangers of you know different races, male and female, um, people that you don't even know for you know hours on end, and it's like welcome and encouraged to do that. Yeah. And I just I love that environment so much and and kind of that competitive spirit. So mm. from that day on, I I kind of was like maybe I should get into more of this competitive running or um, timed running where I kind of go about and onto the course and and make. Uh, uh, this thing, a competitive atmosphere for me and, and for those around me. Um, wow. So yeah, that's when I signed up for the yeah. Twin Cities 10 mile. So the following year, the t- 2019, um, the marathon in the Twin Cities, we have a marathon and also a 10 mile race on the same day. Mm. Uh, the 10 mile starts like an hour or so earlier than the marathon, but it's this big race weekend and race event and all that stuff. So I was like, the marathon seems a little aggressive for me because I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not there. So right. let's do the 10 mile. So I signed up and trained and, you know, did all the marathon or 10 mile preparation for it that I could. Uh, and I felt ready to go and we were ready to rock on October 6, 2019. Um, my fiance at the time, Amy, uh, dropped me off downtown and it was like this beautiful Minnesota fall day, which is basically, which maybe it doesn't sound beautiful, but 40 degrees, yeah, <laughs> sunny, perfect you know, for running. Oh yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Perfect for running. And, we start downtown and, you know, sun's rising and downtown Minneapolis isn't a huge city by any means, but beautiful buildings, beautiful architecture right next to uh, the Minnesota Vikings stadium. So just a really cool atmosphere with thousands of people there. So the stage is, is set and it's just like this really exciting, unique opportunity that I had really kind of dreamed about for about a year, you know, seeing my, oh, my yeah. brother-in-law run the marathon in 2018. Wow. And it gets you into all these corrals and all this stuff, right? They fire off the gun and now hold on, on hold run. on one second. I'm yeah. going to cut you off for a second. Cause I, I do want to yeah. back up because, and, and I don't know if you, you kind of have maybe your uh, way of telling a story, but, but I, before we get there, for you, sure. I, I can't remember if it was at the race or before the race, you kind of decided that, okay, with, with your bib number, I just want you to talk a little bit about the bib and what you decided to do with, with that number, even before the race, was it, was it, did they mail you the bib and that's when you did it? Or I'm just curious when, when that happened, explain what it was. Yeah, for sure. So kind of talked about, you know, Lord captured my heart in Charleston and coming back to the twin cities. And then Amy and I, we ended up going to a, a really great church here in the twin cities called Cedar Valley church. And we really were just both on fire for the Lord. And we still are, you know, being involved with church yeah. and Bible studies and um, just really devoted to him. And I had signed up for this race. And I mean, I didn't really think anything much of it with my faith. Um, but when you sign up for a race, they give you an opportunity to put your a message on your race bib. And most folks put their name. And it's kind of a, a useful way to say, hey, Mike, good job, man. Keep it up. Right. Only 20 miles to go. You know, it's kind of this like encouraging thing that you can cheer people on. And some folks do it for businesses or raising money or whatever it is. But for me, I was like, all right, my bib, I'll just put my name, right? Tyler Moon, that seems pretty straightforward. It fits the characters. My name is appropriately length. So we're good to go. <laughs> But then a couple months later, um, I was, I had just gotten home from, from work or something. And I had this thought just like skyrocketed into my head that I should change my race bid to something that's about Jesus. And I was like, all right, that's kind of like, that's kind of cool. Like it's random, but like, yeah, like we're on fire for the Lord. Let's talk about, you know, let's tattoo the words on our forehead. Like, let's like, you know, share the, the gospel with people while we're running. And it would be really encouraging to know like for myself that while I'm running here, each step is an opportunity to share the gospel. So when, when it's really hard, mile seven, you know, mile eight, mile nine, I know that by my continuous movement, I'm sharing the word of God with this race bib. 
So I was pretty excited about that. I was like, this is cool. You know, and I, I hadn't told Amy, I hadn't told anybody about it. I thought I could share it at the end of the, you know, the finish line. And I was, I just thought about, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do an Instagram post and I'll share about Jesus with everybody and this whole thing. So that was my intention. Yeah. Uh, and I got to the race uh, that morning and Amy had seen the bib, I think the night before maybe, or I don't, I don't know if she had known about it. Um, but I got to the race that day with that intention in my mind, Mike, good, good kind of clarifying question. Uh, and I was ready to rock and ready to run for Jesus that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So then you're, you said you're in a way, actually, hold on. Chris just gave me the look like he's got a question. Do you have something you're going to say, Chris? Oh, I, well, I, I was going to ask you, what's the furthest that you had run? I mean, so you're getting ready for a 10 mile race, which you, you had not run a competitive race before, right? I'd run a 5k. So you run a pretty, 5K. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty so minimal, 10 miles, but, quite a bit further. So what was the longest you'd run in training? So actually I'd run about eight miles a couple okay. weeks before. Yep. Um, which was pretty long. And I, I done a tough mutter that summer as well, which is kind of like running and obstacle coursey and stuff like right. that, which is a little different. Uh, and that was about eight or nine. Okay. So I was ready. I, I felt good. Um, but 10 miles was definitely the longest I'd ever run in okay. one, at one time. You know, that was like uh, a unique and new opportunity for me for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you are, you're in the corral now and, and right. it does, it's not like horse racing. Don't think of that folks. If, if you've never been, right. it's, it's just, you just all kind of bunched in together, right. To this place. It's called the corral by the mm -hmm. starting line. The gun's about to go off uh, take us through it. Yeah. Well, fire off the gun and you take off. And I think for, for describe it for folks, the corral is kind of like your state fair basically, but you're all in like t-shirts yeah. and shorts and you go for a run together. It's kind of like what it, what it comes <laughs> out to, yeah. uh, thousands of people running on the streets. It's, a, it's such a cool opportunity for folks if you're interested in running, mm -hmm. but for me, gun fires off and I take off, you know, and I'm feeling good and I have I have a runner's watch on. I actually borrowed it from a friend because I didn't have one. So mm. I have my runner's watch on and um, trying to keep my pace and trying to figure out this whole thing. And it really was just this overwhelming experience of like, hey, I'm actually here. I'm actually doing it. This is really cool. And uh, at mile one, I saw my family. So my fiance, Amy, was there and my parents were there to cheer me on. And so mm. ran over, said hi, you know, gave my wife a kiss and then hit the road, kept running. Um, and then for me, the next thing I remember is waking up in a hospital after mm. that. Wow. So that was the last I, memory you have. That's the last memory that I have, which wow. praise God. I think that's an amazing memory. Um, oh, yeah. But for me, we'll fill in the gap between yeah, mile yeah. one and the hospital. But okay. that's my last memory. Because you went you went pretty far before before you went into cardiac arrest. You went to like eight miles, didn't you? Yeah. So I went seven more miles that day. Yeah. So I got to just around eight miles. And from what I've been told, and this is folks, you know, obviously telling me this story right around the eight mile mark, I took kind of a big breath of air, kind of like a gasp of air. And I just collapsed and hit the pavement. Mm. And it wasn't like a, you know, trip and fall type thing, or I ran into somebody, it was like a collapse, like very much something that was abnormal for something like, yeah. like that at a race. And I was, you know, kind of landed face first. My face was all um, kind of messed up and, and yeah. bloodied and things like that. Um, and then a group of people, which strangers, they didn't know each other, um, mm. all just swarmed to me, like right in the moment, um, different medical professionals, different people that were running volunteers at the race, people that were watching the race just swarmed me, you know, right mm. away. And, uh, they flipped me over and they all just started talking to each other kind of in this medical lingo, right? They're like, Hey, check this type of pulse. Hey, what's his, this, what's his, that. And they all just kind of understood in the moment that, hey, we're, we're all like medically inclined. Yeah. Uh, we kind of know what we're doing here. And someone made the call, said, hey, like we don't have a pulse. We need to give this kid CPR. And so they just started CPR and me kind of ran a full code in the middle of the wow. street in St. Paul um, and started where, doing. Where is your family at this point? Do they know any of this is happening? Are they close? They have no idea. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're tracking me on a cell phone with kind of the race, um, app, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. So they're following me and to them, what they see is me actually continuing to run because the way the app is set up, it kind of takes uh, landmarks and it kind of projects where you're going to be. Right. And so well, I think I had crossed one of the later landmarks. And so I was to them, I was still running and 
I even got close to the finish line according to their app. So they have no idea you know, what's happening and they're informed later on mm-hmm. about how everything kind of shook out. But for me in that moment, I'm, I'm not running with anybody. I don't know anybody. I'm solo on the pavement, helpless without some type of intervention from mm-hmm. God and the people that he's put in place there. So these are not race officials, right? I mean, you know, in a 10 mile course or a marathon course, you can't have race officials every 15 feet. So these are just strangers from the crowd, right? Correct. Yep. So I think the majority of them are runners in the race Okay. that just stopped their race. There was one race volunteer that was right at mile eight. I had just passed mile eight. So he came with a a breathing apparatus. He kind of had like a medical Mm -hmm. kit. So he came in, I don't know how he was informed, you know, I don't know how that whole thing shook out. Yeah. And I think there was maybe one person who was just watching the race that just jumped off the sidewalk and jumped in to help. Um, but this scene is basically, you know, you can you probably Google it. Actually, there's a video of part of it. It's a little aggressive, but it's kind of like what you see in a movie or like a TV show. I mean, it's just me on the ground and people giving me CPR and um, you know, 30 chest compressions and they would rotate and they would count for each other. And someone's giving me breaths. And it's just basically this really intense medical environment trying to save my life. Cause I mean, as uh, we know, like if you don't have a heartbeat, you, you won't live. Right. And so they were keeping my heart going, keeping my blood pumping until the ambulance could come, which wow. took about 10 or 15 minutes. To so get they were there doing CPR the entire time. Your heart did not restart on its own. <laughs> That's a good question. They were very quick to give CPR. So it sounded like for what I've been told, I had a pulse, I had a pretty faint pulse. Okay. And then once the pulse went away, they made a really quick decision to start CPR. Okay. Um, and also people kind of ask me like, did you die? Did you, were you alive? And I say, I don't know, like, we'll let God tell me that at the end of times. Right. Um, but they had really quick intervention, which is, as I've learned a really important thing for any type of cardiac arrest or CPR situation you really, really, really need to have quick intervention if someone needs that situation. So, yeah, so that was really important to me being alive today and speaking with all of you. I didn't even think about that too. As you said, um, they're keeping your blood pumping by, by right. doing the compressions for whatever reason that hasn't, I've, that hasn't registered for me yet that when you, I always just think, well, they're trying to, to, you know, uh, shock the heart back or something, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's actually, yeah, if you, if you're compressing the chest, like you should, it will actually compress the heart and push blood through your body, which allows it to continue to, to circulate and keep you alive. That that's mind boggling to me. And you're getting a small mm-hmm. amount of oxygen from the breaths. I mean, they, they really focus on the compressions uh, yeah. now. I mean, back in the dark ages, when I took CPR, they had a lot more breaths per compression. Mm-hmm. It was like five to one, but now mm-hmm. I think it's 30 to two right. um, just because it's much more important for, the blood to circulate than it is to give because when you exhale into someone, I mean, there's not a lot of oxygen. There's some, but it's, you know, it's mostly carbon dioxide. So they're, yeah, they're literally keeping him alive by compressing his heart. And, you know, it sounds like you don't know if it actually restarted on its own before, but if they were still doing compressions, then probably not. And then, I mean, they may have done them on the, in the ambulance too. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened was they did the compressions and then they had an AED that shocked me on the spot. Okay. Um, and then they finished, what you're supposed to do is even though your heart restarts, you're supposed to finish with two more rounds of CPR just okay. to make sure the heart kind of comes back, um, into this rhythm. And then I was rushed off to the hospital. So it just took me one shock, which is amazing in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. and my heart was back into a, a normal rhythm. I was still uh, in a lot of pain and, um, a lot of chaos, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a miraculous story and, um, really, really was thankful for all the folks that were there that day. And you don't remember anything of the ambulance ride. I mean, the only, the first recollection you have is when you were actually in the hospital. Is that correct? Yeah, it was, a, it was a little foggy, kind of like my first memory, but I don't have anything of the race, nothing of that. Truly my first memory is I can really think about it. Um, I, you know, I, I remember kind of people coming in to see me and hugging people and saying, hi, it was a little cl- cloudy for, mm-hmm. you know, even a day or two after, but kind of one of my more distinct memories is I was talking to like a surgeon basically, and we were going to maybe put a defibrillator in me. And that was mm-hmm. like the conversation that I kind of like, that's kind of like the first conversation 
that I can really remember. And it's kind of a unique situation, but I didn't really, I was, it was kind of this weird thing where I had to sign consent because it was my body and I was conscious, right. but I wasn't really there, you know? Yeah. And so it was yeah. just this, this weird thing. We ended up not going with the defibrillator at this certain hospital and took a pause and then went to a different location and did some more testing. Um, but my first kind of really concrete memory besides seeing family uh, was just this like conversation and really confused as to kind of why I was signing this piece of paper. Um, so a very drastic difference between where I started and where I ended. But I'm very thankful for the opportunity to even have that experience and to be able to share this story with everybody here today. Wow. Go ahead, Chris. Tyler, did they, did they, I mean, obviously you don't remember anything from the incident and you were assisted by just people who were nearby. So you didn't mm-hmm. really have any medical professionals until the ambulance ride and then the hospital, but did, were they able to determine what happened? Were they able to piece it together? Did you have, you know, did they have a, an ultimate diagnosis of what had caused your heart to stop in the middle of a race? So Chris, great question. And we're still trying to figure out kind of what happened on that specific day and what's maybe happening in my heart here uh, going forward. But we've learned through some of the studying um, that, you know, the electrical pathways of my heart um, were just a little funny. And through some of the research that we've done over the last couple years, uh, we've learned that around 160 beats per minute, I'm getting pretty technical, I kind of have a couplet uh, of a beat. And so it's not kind of the normal boom, 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 boom. It goes kind of boom, boom, like really quick, um, which is somewhat of a leading theory that maybe on that day um, that triggered, instead of it being a couplet, it was a triplet and then it was a quadruplet, you know, and then it kind of kept going and it created this really kind of crazy electrical pattern in my heart, which caused me to go into this tachycardia, uh, caused me to collapse. So that's, that's kind of the general thought. Uh, it sounds like there's, and from our doctors, it's pretty low risk of it happening again. Um, but just in case, I, I do have a defibrillator uh, implanted in me to keep me uh, um, above ground, I guess is the best way to say it. Wow. So, now, I mean, yeah. you you were a college athlete. You played football. And, you know, it's it's very different, obviously, because in football, it's start, stop, start, stop, you know. But right. I would assume that, you know, if you have a long offensive series, you're marching down the field that at some point your heart rate's going to get up relatively high. And then when you exert yourself, you're probably going to get over that 160 threshold. So did you ever have any, I mean, looking back, did you ever have any funny feelings or something else when you were playing football that, you know, something just didn't feel right, but then it went away or was this, I mean, it sounds like this was just completely out of the blue that, you know, you'd never had anything, any inkling of a problem Mm -hmm. until you collapsed. Yeah, not much. You know, I think at times I felt some different things with my heart, but wasn't anything to like concern me. Um, nothing that I would say, wow, that was an issue. Or, you know, I think it was just completely out of the blue and nothing that was even on our radar. So, um, yeah, I didn't do any type of long distance running while I was in school or anything, but certainly lifting and working out and push ups and oh, yeah. you know, 25 years of activity um, to that one moment where I collapsed is really. Uh, just an anomaly in my life, which was something we never expected. I, I have to tell you two things. One, this is absolutely terrifying for me. <laughs> right. As a longtime athlete, you know, I, I uh, boy, that's just, this is probably the scariest thing you could tell me is, you know, mm-hmm. the, your experience, because, you know, it's, that's the kind of thing that would get me up in the middle of the night. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing I want to share, uh, and this is, you know, probably not something you want to hear, but well, actually maybe you would, but you know, I had a friend from church, um, going back about 20 years ago. And then we ended up, um, switching to a different church, but he was, uh, an avid runner and, you know, Northeast Ohio, he'd go out any, any kind of weather, just go out and run. Um, and I, I don't know if he competed in any road races, but he was very consistent. I mean, he would do five miles, 10 miles, you know, mm-hmm. and one day he went out running and, and never came home. Mm-hmm. I think he had a pretty similar experience, but he wasn't in a situation where there were people around him. I mean, he was out on a road by himself. Mm-hmm. So it's right. just, you know, 
it, it, it happens. I mean, it's just so odd, but you can have very well-conditioned athletes mm-hmm. and, you know, they just, their hearts stop like, like yours did. So it's just, mm-hmm. it, like I said, it's just absolutely terrifying for me. You know, it's just, you know, you can do all the right things and sometimes it just happens. Right. You said, Tyler, that you have a defibrillator inside of you. Mm-hmm. That that'd be a little disconcerting to me. I'm just being honest. <laughs> what what exactly does that look like? Yeah. So it's kind of like if you look, I'll have my cell phone here, but it's kind of like half the size of my cell phone and wow. or a cell phone. Wow. And it's pretty thin. Yeah. Okay. So it's and for me, it's implanted in my abdomen actually. So it's okay. underneath. Um, uh, the side of my body where my heart is. And so uh, my defibrillator is kind of like a little, little battery pack and it has two wires that connect to my heart. That I mean, it's amazing what doctors can do. They, they, they sewn on these wires to my heart. Right. And then there's a coil as well. And so basically it's tracking my heart all the time. So we have metrics and data and analytics on my heart whenever we want to see them. And so it's tracking my heart and whenever it gets out of balance or out of rhythm, um, the device knows it's been programmed in a certain way to say, these are his parameters is what we want to look for. It'll just sit there and it'll say, okay, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Okay. We need to shock him. And the battery works with the coil to, uh, you know, charge up and runs a, you know, a wire of electricity right into my heart and shocks me back into rhythm. So it's an amazing piece of technology and we find a lot of comfort in it. You know, I think uh, we <laughs> right. obviously trust, we trust God to provide you know, great right. medical people to us and uh, be able to have yeah. this type of device. So I'm still running and doing lots of things today, which is amazing, but it was kind of a different thing having an implanted device. That was something that was yeah. um, something I never thought I would have. Would the batteries need to be changed? <laughs> great question. Actually they do every, uh, every like 10 or 15 years. Yeah. You get really? a new battery. And then more kind of extensively, you get new wires every like 25 years, maybe 30 years. And so that's a pretty big surgery. Um, But in 25 or 30 years, we're like, who knows where we'll be medically. And for me, like we could have, they could maybe even figure out what happened to me and we could do some things medically to, you know, do different uh, treatments for it. So we're very excited for where we're at in terms of uh, the care that we have and what's possible in the future. And just thankful to be able to even do any activity today is, right. is really remarkable. Definitely. Yeah, okay. Pace, pacemakers are very small. I mean, you know, th- this is mm-hmm. not small. That didn't sound small. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, t- okay. So I want to go back to where yeah. these crowd of people are working on you, Tyler. And this is kind of like the punchline to the story. Like to me, yeah. it's just so amazing. There's one specific person who is saving you, you know, who's, who's working on you doing the CPR at the rest of them. One person that go ahead and talk about who, who is that person? Yeah. So his, he goes by Jesse Boino. His first name is uh, Jesse last name Boino. Um, but his legal name is actually Jesus. And so it's spelt like Jesus, J E S U S, which is a remarkable thing that God did. And just like kind of tying the whole story together um, we talked a little bit in the pre-show and kind of about your previous episode about things that we do today that we don't even know God's planning for, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. And so for me to even be saved that day was an incredible story, right? This is an incredible human interest story. And then my family figured out I had this race bib and I think they thought, wow, this is an amazing story. Like he, Jesus saves, like he saved him on earth. And then a couple weeks later, when the media, actually someone in the media kind of put the two and two together because they looked at some property records of Jesse and some of the folks who saved me and tied it all together. And I think even we were like, we were shocked again, like three different times that God amazed us and wowed us in this type of story. So uh, Jesse, Jesus, he's a great guy and just like an amazing thing that he and those others did and thankful that God put it all together and then kind of let it go viral. That's kind of how it got all viral. And uh, out on Twitter and different media outlets and things like that. And that's really why kind of why I continue to speak today is we saw the impact of that encouragement and that story and to be able to share that. Uh, we just want to keep doing that and be able to share with, with you today as you're listening. And so, and you're continuing uh, to run marathons, right? You, you are continuing to run and, and train right. and, and 
compete. Right. Yeah, we actually, so long story, but I'll make it kind of short, but we got out of that whole experience and we ended up getting married, you know, shortly thereafter. And I, um, you know, was still kind of recovering from surgery and all this stuff. And kind of like, do we want to run again? You know, what's, what's that look like? A lot of, you know, trauma and, you know, mental, um, you know, health questions and things like that. So we were like, what do we want to do with this? And I really had it put on my heart that like, I'm going to keep running and like, God wants me to run. And um, I think that we can take this story and just elevate it and bring it even, you know, higher, bring more glory to God. And so we ended up signing up for a marathon, which the, like the, the following year. So like, you know, I'm like six months out of surgery basically. And we're, you know, starting to train for, you know, this marathon. And the way that I feel like God's imparted on me is that with Christ, that's where we get true victory. And I felt like there was some, you know, this metaphor of me running 10 miles and running eight miles, almost dying. And then we went back and finished the last two miles, but then saying, okay, let's do something bigger and let's do something more because we can with Christ. There's no limit with him. There's no limit in, uh, our lives and we really just commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to him and like do what he asks us to do. So that was kind of the initial thought behind it. And yeah, we ended up running a marathon about a year later in the following October. Uh, Amy was on rollerblades actually, because it was a virtual you know, COVID marathon, which we were very thankful for because one, we had a lot of time to practice and train and do all this stuff. Uh, but secondarily, she was able to rollerblade next to me kind of on our custom route that we built here in the twin cities. And, it was a really cool thing that I hope to encourage with folks today is that Christ, that's where true victory lies. And we can have that when we give up control and step into what he's called us to do. So you went out on a virtual marathon. So you were all by you, you two were alone, right? You didn't have a crowd of people. And is that we correct? We kind of had a little, a little crowd. We had kind of told some folks and because of its human interest story, we had right. some media and some stuff that showed up that day. Um, so there was about probably like 10 or 15 people that were there kind of sprinkled throughout Minneapolis. So uh, we ran in a very um, well-known area here in the Twin Cities. It's a lot of these different lakes and things like that. So it was a really cool opportunity, very intimate marathon to have just like, oh, there's my parents. Oh, there's our, our, our small group from church. And, you know, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so. So we had a little bit of that, but it wasn't, you know, the thousands of people on the streets right. and, and sidewalks and stuff like that. Um, but it was, it was a really cool opportunity for sure. Tyler, can you walk us through a little bit, your kind of your emotional state through all this? So, you know, you wake up in the hospital, people have to tell you what happened, and then you have to kind of deal with that, not just intellectually, but emotionally. And then you have to go through a surgery. You've got something i mean i know it's i know it's thin but it's half the size of a cell phone in your abdomen with wires right. attached to your right. heart i mean yeah. again for me i i'm just trying to figure out how i would deal with this emotionally and then to make the decision to get back into running mm -hmm. so just walk us through kind of the last three years and how things have been going for you what god's been teaching you maybe how god's been supporting you and what this has, not only how you've dealt with this, but your wife and others, how, how has everybody dealt with this? And what, what have you seen through this process? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, initially, um, you know, kind of like the couple foggy days in, in the hospital, but what I've been told is that, you know, unfortunately they had to keep telling me what happened because I would forget. Okay. So I'd kind of like have this moment and then I would have a full range of emotions. I would cry one moment. I would be like, okay, you know, very positive. And so it was kind of a, a weird kind of mixture of things. And by the time I really had that consciousness, you know, by the time I'm kind of really kind of waking up and being like, okay, uh, here I am. I had kind of gone through a lot of those emotions. It's kind of a, a weird way to describe it. Um, but by the time I was there, I was like, okay, this is positive because I'm alive. Like praise right. God that I'm alive. And because we were rooted at the church, we were just, you know, we had people praying for us. We had people visiting us and we really saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, and I don't know, I, I, I can't really confirm it in my own head, but positivity, I don't know if that's a spiritual gift, but I feel like I, something that I really have in my life is to hmm. just be really positive. So ironically, I was kind of the one that was like, let's do it. We can do it. You know, we can, we can, we can, you know, get out of this. We can have a great experience. And I think part of that was because I didn't have a lot of the trauma that Amy had or my parents right. had, you know, right. they came to the hospital 
they heard the news. They had to sit with me and watch me. You know, I was in a medically induced coma for a little bit. They, you know, they had to be there for that. Yeah, and so it was kind of unique and amazing how God used us to encourage one another when things were kind of up and down. So for me, I was, and I have typically been on this trajectory of positivity and other along the way, we've helped each other as we've moved through it. But it was certainly a unique experience with Amy because we were engaged, right? We're not even married right. yet. And so and, and we, we weren't living together or anything, but she was kind of the primary caretaker for me. And my parents talk about this really unique opportunity or this unique experience in the hospital. The three of them are standing there with the doctor and the doctor goes, you know, who's, who's the primary caregiver here? And they all kind of look at each other. And Amy, my wife, stood up and says, you know, that's me. And, you know, even before we were married, she stepped up and said, like, you know, we're betrothed, maybe is the proper way to say it biblically, but we're in this, you know, covenant promise, almost this covenant promise. And she steps up and she's, you know, bedside with me for the next, you know, weeks, you know, here at the hospital and then back home in Minneapolis. So to be able to work through that together and she's feeling sad and working through some of this and I'm feeling positive was definitely a unique experience, but we've put a lot of that, um, work and opportunity into building a really strong marriage for us. So mm. something that was very challenging, but to be able to look back on that and say like, Hey, we've done like God's helped us through so much, you know, we can really overcome whatever we face in our marriage. That's kind of how we work through that initial piece and how it's helped us today. Okay. So, um, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. But I think it's, there's getting through the experience. There's kind of reckoning with what happened to you because you were unconscious you were right arguably dead for part of it um they all went through that then you you deal with it but then then you say hey let's run a marathon i mean how how do you how do you get there Uh, i mean you know and and how does she get there How, how is she able to not only agree to that but actually support you in doing that that seems like a pretty big step Hmm. the the easy answer is prayer basically that's kind of the the first thing so i'm really big about you know, getting the word and praying and things like that and i feel like god just really implanted that on my heart and really just put that on my heart to go run again and you know it's it's not lost on me that i almost died running a 10 mile race i, I mean i think i like I get that. And when I tell, when I told people initially, I want to run the marathon, they kind of looked at me and went, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you remember what happened last time, Tyler, like, you remember that? And, and I was very aware of that, but for me, you, you should have been heart, like, when they ask you that, you should have been like, no, wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Sorry. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Let's show you the film. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think just that prayer, I just was my heart was burdened is probably just the best way to say it. Like, just really felt like that was where God wanted me to be. And having this conversation with Amy, we're kind of like, it's like the spring of 2020, kind of like it's about time for me to start training. I remember we were talking about it, praying about it talking about it and praying about it. I remember just, you know, having this very authentic conversation, crying with her and saying like, mm. I would rather die doing what God wants me to do instead of live and not do what he wants me to do. Mm. Like there's no point in me living this life if I'm not going to live it for Christ. So it's possible I could die. Yeah, for sure. I could die while I'm running, but I know that God's called me to this. And so I'm going to step into it. And I'm going to go for it. And that was really, I think, a turning point in kind of sharing my heart with her and her, obviously, she's had a lot of, you know, stress and things like that around the situation. And from that conversation on, it was like, okay, if, we, if we're going to do this, how do we do it? You know, what, where do you run? When do you run? What do we eat before and after we run? A lot of those different things that she was really like, okay. And that's how kind of the rollerblading came about. Was that like, you can't go run 10 miles by yourself on a Saturday morning. Like, we're just right. not okay with that. Yeah. So like, and she stepped up and said, I'm going to put rollerblades on and like, we're going to make it happen. And so she's awesome. And she's obviously an incredible incredible wife. Um, but it definitely was that moment of prayer and consideration. And then throughout that whole process, you know, praying and just being linked with God and trying to hear what he wants us to do and just really stepping into it because we know that if you're for living for God, you know, there's nothing to lose there. What I love about this, Tyler, is you, I mean, you didn't ask for this story, you know, it was thrust upon you, but, but you have since embraced it. And, uh, and, and along with your wife, who I can't believe that, that the devotion that that shows that she would go with you on those long runs on rollerblades 
Ah, mm-hmm. that's that's amazing. Um, but uh, but it, and it speaks to again to me the bigger meaning to this whole thing is that like you know we 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 think we're the we're the stars in our stories. We think that mm-hmm. we're the ones we're the main characters, and that we we have the power to write our own story. And mm-hmm. moments like this are really, I think, strong reminders to all of us that uh, not quite. God is actually he he's the he's the primary character. He's he's right. the star of the story. We're supporting actors and our story is really seated inside of his grander narrative. Mm-hmm. Um and so we kind of have to to entrust ourselves to that and whatever come whatever comes from that, um uh, we kind of have a choice to em- embrace it and uh and give ourselves to it and allow God to to take it and, and use it for his glory or f- kind of fight against it or be growing resentment maybe about mm-hmm. it or getting bitter about it. Um, so I, I, I love how you guys have embraced it. If that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's an example for all of us. Yeah. I think too, just going off that mic, it's, you know, God didn't have to include us, you know, he's mm-hmm. given us free will, like, and it's because he loves us. Like he created us because he loves us and he wants us to have this relationship with him. And so sometimes people see that, you know, maybe like, you know, it's like, why is it all about God? Why is it about me? You know, I want it to be about me, but it's because he loves us so much. He gave us opportunities to make choices and to live a life that we can see this beauty on earth and in heaven. You know, that's kind of the, the end, the end goal, right. Is to be there with him for eternity. So I love that. I love that perspective and that reminder that, yeah, we're not in control, but we have a choice to step into what God wants us to do and glorify him or, or not. And we have that choice because he loves us. Yeah. I mean, especially as men who, who want to control every aspect of our lives, you know, to give it over, man, that's, that, that's tough. Mm -hmm. Talk about the impact, Tyler. So you did the, you did the, I think you called it a virtual marathon, but you did, you did the 26.2 miles in Mm -hmm. 2020, um, with Amy by your side on rollerblades, you had a limited number of people who watched at least part of it. You got through it. Uh, it's been two years, um, since then. Well, a little less than two years. Um, what's happened since How, how have people been impacted by this? What have they told you? as a result of witnessing your story. Right. Yeah. So we've just been really blessed by the encouragement from other people through this whole thing. And initially when everything happened, no one knew who I was, you know, the initial story, like no one knows who I am because I'm this mystery guy who doesn't have his name on his race bib, right? Like my name isn't Jesus saves, although that would be pretty crazy. Um, (laughs) But there was no one knew who I was besides family and friends and the media and the, you know, the hospital and the, and the race organization, they, they couldn't actually give my information out to the media because right. I had signed a waiver and all that stuff. And I remember we had kind of sat there and kind of thought like, you know, we were kind of working with a guy from one of the hospitals and do we want to do this? Do we want to share it? Like, what's the point? You know, all this stuff. And we thought, you know, like this is an, an amazing opportunity to share and share about Jesus, you know? And so we said, okay, you can release our name. And slowly people started to call us and, you know, have these little phone interviews and, it wasn't anything crazy, but I think I just was like, all right, this is cool. Like it's cool to share and whatever. But the minute that people said, Hey, I saw you on TV or, Hey, I read that story. And wow, that's super impactful. I mean, I get goosebumps just telling you that today, that that was just so encouraging, like this virtuous cycle to say, okay, let's keep doing it. Like, let's keep sharing. Let's keep bringing the word of God to others that need to hear it. And so um, since that time, we've shared a lot of different, you know, different things. It's kind of like my if I'm at a gathering, it's like my one good story is that I can tell people that I had this thing happen to me and look at God did and all this stuff. Um, but we've been able to share it, you know, in 2019 with the 10 mile 2020 with the marathon. And then actually in 2021, we ran again, um, kind of a set of three races. As I wasn't going to run. I was kind of like, I'm, I think we're done with this thing. I think the story's kind of made its course, mm-hmm. but then Jesse, Jesse Bueno, Jesus, he texted me. He was like, Hey, I think we should run. Uh, it's called the Looney Challenge. So it, the Minnesota common loon is a Minnesota bird, uh, state bird. And so the Looney Challenge is this crazy thing where you run a 5K and 10K on Saturday and then run a 10 mile on Sunday. Ooh. And so Jesse, and even just to add to the original story of 2019, Jesse was signed up for the Looney Challenge in 2019. Hmm. But it rained on Saturday. 
And so he didn't run any races on Saturday. He just ran a 10 mile on Sunday, which theoretically you could play the game. But if he was sore and tired from Saturday, would he have been in the same spot on Sunday? Mm. I don't know. You know, it's kind of interesting. So he came back in 2021 going, Hey, I want to do the Looney challenge. I think we should do it together. Um, What do you think? I was like, oh, okay, I don't know, I don't know. And once again, we're in this you know, thought, Amy and I, prayer, thinking about it, prayer, thinking about it. And we end up going for it. We sign up for it, and uh, we end up running this kind of challenge together. And we ended up only running the 10-mile together because I ran the 5K, the 10K uh, with Amy and then my dad. So I ran the 5K with Amy and the 10K with my dad. And then the following day, I ran the 10-mile with Jesse. So once again, an amazing opportunity to share and you know, uh, we got connected to the media again. It's obviously a compelling story going back to the spot where he almost died, you know, that whole thing. Uh, but once again, just thankful for the opportunity to share Jesus with everybody and just continue to tell, tell the story that like with Christ, you can do so much, you know, we can overcome anything in our lives, any addiction, anything that we have in our lives, any challenge, let's go for it. Let's beat it with Christ. And I think that was another physical representation of us doing that in 2021. With Jesus. Anything is possible. <laughs> yes, there, there you go. Right. <laughs> is is uh, is is Jesus a Christian? I'll yes, cut this out he if he's is, not. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Sure. That's great. Okay, yes. that makes it even yeah. better. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun to get to know them too, and just they have you know a couple kids, and they're kind of like he's probably like ten or fifteen years older than me, but it's kind of this unique relationship where it's like not yeah. your parents' age. But it's like, oh, yeah. you know, someone who's still a mentor in some ways to you. So, yeah, we would love them. It's been great to get to know them and continue to, you know, we're actually heading to like their daughter's graduation party this weekend. So that's great. It's just a really cool thing. And how God, I mean, there's so many nuggets from the story, just God taking even that one relationship out of something so traumatic is a blessing in and of itself. Right. Um, so, yeah, we're very thankful to have that opportunity and to, to run with him was was so cool. And we took a moment at around mile eight and we prayed together and just took that moment. And then we just, you know, kept running. And I, I, I felt like I was a feather that day. I was just, you know, running and feeling so good. And it was an awesome opportunity for sure. So then would you, would you say that, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this horse, by the way, would you yeah. say you have a personal relationship now with Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. Mean, yes. I, we can take this for, That's I can right. do this forever. I can do this all day. <laughs> Michael be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> Try the veal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so good, Tyler. Oh my goodness. So, all right. So Chris, I was getting close to wrapping up here maybe, but what, do you have anything else before you? No, to... no, I, 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 okay. I, I was, it was really nice to hear that that relationship has developed because I mean, yeah. you know, he just, now he was running the initial race or he was on the sidelines. He, he was r- running in yeah, your vicinity, right? Yeah. 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 And crazy thing not to keep going, but he, there's a photo of him with his family, like right at mile eight. And you can see me in the background running past him. Oh, wow. And like 0.2 miles later, whatever it was, it happened. And so, uh, this, I mean, the story just, it's just God's plan. I mean, it's just yeah. God's providence. I mean, and if people are ever discouraged, come listen to this podcast. Just remember that God has a plan for you and his power is in your life. And with, you know, with that, you can, you know, God's conquered the world and we can step in and we can be more than conquerors with him, which I just love that language and having overwhelming victory, you know, in Romans eight. And so just another little nugget of that story. That's just so unique and so powerful. Man, that's so good. So good, Tyler. Um, re- we really appreciate you you being on with us, man. This has been fantastic. So yeah, so if folks wanted to find out more about you, they want to uh, connect with you, follow you, whatever, where where would they find you online? Yeah, so uh, we're on Instagram, Moon Family Ministries. So we've kind of made this ministry out of it, trying to um, just see what God has for us in terms of public speaking or writing or different things like that. So Moon Family Ministries, all one word on Instagram. And then our email account is moonfamilyministries at gmail.com. So uh, we'd love to connect with you. And if you've had a similar experience or a story or anything, just shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you uh, and just connect with you, pray for you, and hopefully encourage you, sharpen uh, each other's iron as we go about living our daily lives here today. Yeah, man. Yeah. And at some point, I will definitely um, 
want to meet you in Moon Township, PA. <laughs> at some For 5K. point. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's a hard one. I don't I yeah, I wouldn't I wasn't do more than 5K on, in the hills of Pittsburgh. <laughs> I wasn't planning on doing that one again, but if you were to come, I'd have to do it. Um <laughs> but Jesus would have to be here too. Yeah. I, I would have to yeah. anyway. He, yeah, he's a great guy. He might do it. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds like he'd be up for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Tyler, let me uh first of all, we'll put all that those that information you shared in the show notes for people to check out. But uh, we'd love to pray for you and your family and yeah. your ministry as uh, as we close out here. So let's pray. Oh, God, you are so good. Um, man, I know uh, we're all reminded right now of that through this story, through the ways you provided for Tyler and his family in really miraculous ways, God. Man, you, you are amazing. And Father... Um, I think we all need to be reminded of, uh, of your providence, your, your ultimate salvation that you provided for us in Christ. Um, and now father, we can walk as Tyler said in, in victory, we can walk with confidence, not in ourselves because it's not unto works that we've been saved, but it's, it's that we, uh, that we place our trust in you and that you work in us and through us. And so God help us as men to, uh, to let go of control and to entrust ourselves to you and to be used by you, Lord. Um, and Lord, we want to lift up Tyler, his family, his ministry to you. Pray that you continue to provide for them. Pray, Father, your blessings uh, on that. And uh, and Lord, and, and protection over he and his wife and their marriage and their family. Um, thank you for this time together. Uh, we praise you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Awesome. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And uh Blessings to you and your ministry. I'm excited to continue to follow you guys wherever you go. Mm-hmm.